0: Well, good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 13 for our study today. We'll be starting in verse 5 as we continue our survey through this incredible book. As we left off last time, Abram and Sarai have just come up out of Egypt, and now... There's a decision that needs to be made between Abram and his nephew Lot. Verse 5 of Genesis 13. Here we read, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right, the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zawar. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord." So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing, the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. There are all kinds of conflicts out there, and some of them, as we know personally, are kind of ridiculous. Sometimes uh, couples find themselves arguing, fighting over who's hogging all the covers or who snores too much or you burnt my grilled cheese sandwich again or who gets to use the bathroom first or whether candy corn is actually really a vegetable or not, right? <laughs> arguing over how you'll spend that hypothetical lottery winning, right? Right? Or things like, uh, you never listen to me. You always get to watch what you want to watch. You never wrap up the bread bag. You always squeeze the toothpaste in the middle. Which way do the glasses go in the cupboard, upside right, upside down? Or which way does the toilet paper roll go, this way or this way? We all wrestle with these things. And when Kathy and I were newly married, these are some of the arguments we had, sadly. The whole cup thing, that was a real dilemma for us. I grew up in a household where the cups were upside down in the cabinet, and she grew up in a household where the cups were right side up, and this, this was a huge problem. <laughs> and of course, now the discussion takes place and the argument over you know, which way is right, because obviously there's got to be a right way. And of course, my family had the right way, not your family. We always put them upside down. Why? Because if they are upside right, they just sit there and collect dust and you got to wipe them out before you actually pour something in them, right? They're all dusty. But she said, yeah, but you turn them upside down. The part that you drink from are now on the dusty shelf. What are you thinking? I was like, oh yeah, I never thought of that. And uh, we divided up their chores a bit and she did the Dishes more than I, so I like, however you want to put them in there is fine with me. We finally came to a conclusion. But in our culture right now, there are more substantial conflicts hitting the media right now abortion rights, gender equality in the workplace, gender identity issues, homosexuality now even more so, arguments over gun control and gun legislation. Beloved, it just seems that we are surrounded by those who are in conflict with each other, in conflict with us, and ultimately in conflict with Christ. We too can easily find ourselves in conflict with even people we deeply love and care about. But as we'll see today, conflicts can arise over almost anything but by God's grace, we can overcome conflict by passionately pursuing peace with others, by turning away from being impulsive and selfish people, by seeking God's honor through the pursuit of peace and by faithfully walking with God. In our sermon series, we've gone back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. The last few weeks, we've looked at chapter 12 of Genesis, which serves as a marker between primeval history and patriarchal history in the Bible. In Genesis 3.15, a seed, a child was promised that would come from the woman who would destroy evil once and for all, and we've been, as we read Genesis, we're waiting for how this promise is going to be fulfilled, and so far there have been at least three, if not four, attacks on the seed line of Christ, with Cain and Abel, with the intermarriage between the satanic line and the godly line, which brought about the great deluge, Noah's flood. And then there was the Tower of Babel incident. And last week we saw how the line was almost corrupted through Abram's interposing the marriage of his own wife, Sarai, the Pharaoh. And yet God continued to preserve Abram and Sarai for his purposes. God is still at work. But now what, as we continue to read Isn't that how life is? Just when one matter is resolved, another matter is presented. That is life, isn't it? James writes in chapter one Consider all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. And we're kind of like, James, you know, what are you smoking? What do you mean, consider all joy? Sometimes it's not joy, sometimes it's difficult. But we're called to consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, God uses difficulties, conflicts, trials to grow us and to mature us. In Genesis 12, 1 through 9, God made three promises to Abram. One, the first one was the promise of descendants, this numerous seed idea. The second promise was the promise of a relationship of blessing, and that Abram and his descendants would be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And then thirdly, there was a promise of land. And each account in the remainder of Genesis threatens at least one of these promises. And here in the remainder of 13, we shall see that all three promises are put at risk once again because of a conflict that arose between Abram and Lot and their herdsmen. Are you overcoming conflict in your life? What are you going through right now? Are you being overcome by conflict instead? Five truths I have for you today, but before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment in time that we have to take to look at your word Lord, there's nowhere else for us to turn but to your word, to your truth, to get a clue on these things. And Lord, we ask that you would move in our midst through your spirit, that you'd open your word to us by the power of your spirit, that our hearts and minds might be ready to receive what you have for us. Lord, help us not to miss anything from you today. We so long to hear from you, not from this speaker, but from you more than all else. So Lord, open your word to us. Lord, open our hearts to receive it. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined with the material that you received when you came in this morning, I encourage you to take that out. And here's the first truth first of all, here, conflicts can arise over almost anything. You've probably seen it in your own household, right? First of all here, serious conflicts can take place even in loving relationships. And that's the case here in verse five. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. In the previous passages, we see that in 12.4, and Lot went with him, Lot went with Abram, and here again, and Lot was with Abram. It seems apparent that these two descendants of Terah, uncle and nephew, up to this point were inseparable and based on how Abram treats Lot, it seems clear that Abram loves Lot very much. But serious conflict can take place even in loving relationships. I know it might be hard for you to believe, but even Brad and Kathy have sometimes found ourselves in conflict over things. And I still remember the first conflict, don't you, honey? We were, we were on our honeymoon. And uh, we, went, we went all the way around Lake Michigan for our honeymoon, not in one day. We took several days. And we actually brought some camping gear with us. You know, we stayed at all kinds of wonderful places. We stayed on Mackinac Island, we, we stayed at the Dells. Everybody's gonna see the Dells at least one time, Wisconsin Dells, it was great. But then we had some camping gear with us, and we thought, one night, let's go camping. So we found some camp, you know, campground in Northern Illinois. We're at the end of our week-long trip, and now we're gonna camp. And of course, you know, she had her family's way of camping and I had what I believed was the right way to camp, right? And so we're setting up the tent. We're setting up the tent, and um, it was a brand new tent that had one of those you know, built-in liners. It was a really nice little tent, and as I'm setting it up, Kathy says, well, you need to put a tarp underneath that, right? I'm like, it's got a built-in liner. What do you need a tarp for? She says, no, you need to put a tarp under that. No, we don't need a tarp. I, I prevailed, and we camped without a tarp under our tent. And of course it rained and there was water in the tent. And so I lost that one. And now I know the right way to camp. So thank you. Thank you for helping me with that. But we argue about all kinds of things and you can find yourself in conflict with even someone you're crazy about, which I'm crazy about you. And I don't wanna be in conflict with you. But secondly here, it turns out that finances are one of the greatest causes of conflict. Turns out tent tarps are not the biggest conflict. But finances, verse 6, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, it says, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. In this case, the conflict was over their wealth. They both had too much. That's a you know, horrible problem. We have too much wealth. But in their affluence, there was not enough local resources to maintain all they possessed. So that's a good problem, of course, to have too much wealth. But yet, even too much wealth can bring conflict. If any of you have seen the movie Fiddler on the Roof, the young activist Perchik, who falls in love with one of Tevye's daughters tells Tevye that money and prosperity is a curse. And Tevye responds, if money is a curse, may the Lord smite me with it and may I never recover, he says. <laughs> the greatest cause of divorce in America is an inability to resolve interpersonal conflict. But the biggest cause of interpersonal conflict in couples is finances. And by the way, as Tim mentioned, we're having Oakwood University start on June 1st, on Wednesday nights. Hopefully you can come at 6.30 and we'll try to deal with some of those financial issues you might be wrestling with. Serious conflicts can take place even in loving relationships. Finances are one of the greatest causes of conflict as we see here with Abram and Lot. But thirdly, subordinates can amplify and inflame conflict. What do we mean here? Look at verse seven. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Here we have herdsmen exacerbating the situation through their effort to protect their respective master's assets. In the corporate world, it's not uncommon for two management teams to find themselves in conflict fueled by lower employees. In parenting, if children can see a conflict in their parents, they will often attempt to divide and conquer. Has anybody seen that? Parents need to have solidarity in their parenting, the parental approach. You and your spouse are ultimately on the same team, therefore, you both need to be on the same page. And by the way, kids know how to exploit that. Oh, you wonderful, dear young people, you know what to do. When you get mom and dad disputing over something, we win. Sorry, you sit up front so you get to be used. So So that's how that is. Subordinates can cause more problems, i.e. children, employees, and the like. But not only that, keep this in mind. Fourthly here, other interests can make conflict very dangerous. There's a little parenthetical comment here in verse seven. There's no explanation for why it's in here, why it's even referenced. But notice Moses adds, and at that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. You are kind of like, why is that there? The idea here is that, you know, they're in conflict and there are those around in the area who would love for them to be in conflict. You have to remember that we don't live our lives in a vacuum where no one can see us. Your life is unfolding before your family, your peer group, your fellow employees, and they're all watching to see if you will follow Christ, even in your conflicts. What could happen if Abram and Lot's enemies saw them in conflict? Well, they could play the two of them against each other for their own gain, couldn't they? It's very important to understand. That conflicts can arise over almost anything. But secondly, as we work now towards how can we overcome this, with God's help, we can overcome conflict through passionately pursuing peace with others. One of the problems that we have in our culture is we're not real passionate about pursuing peace. Well, where does that start? Where does that passion come from? It starts with humility passionately pursuing peace with others by humbling ourselves before others. Notice how it's Abram who starts the discussion in verse eight. Then Abram said to Lot, and this is kind of amazing. Why? Because he's the uncle and Lot is the nephew. Here Abram begins the conversation of deferment. Abram defers to Lot in this conversation. And Abram, as I mentioned, was the uncle and Lot the nephew. And yet Abram seems to defer to Lot which is amazing. But for us, that's not how we're wired. We don't want to defer to anybody. No, I want to say what I want to say, and I want to do what I want to do. Proverbs fifteen thirty three says, the fear of the Lord is instruction and in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. See, we want to be honored on the front end of it. God says, no, no, no. Humility first, honor second. Proverbs eighteen twelve reflects the same idea before destruction a man's heart is haughty but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 22:4 says the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Peter, 1 Peter 5:5, 5, 5, remember Peter, Mr. Denier guy, right? He knew a little bit about what it meant to be humbled before God. He says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud. Are you hearing that? God opposes the proud. If you're prideful and arrogant, you are in opposition to God Himself. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in opposition to God on anything, let alone my own pride, my own arrogance. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter's conclusion here, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. See, God wants to lift us up, but it starts with our humility, especially in the midst of conflict. But secondly here, we can overcome conflict through passionately pursuing peace with others by humbling ourselves, but secondly, by longing for peace with others. Notice Abram's plea here in verse 8. Let there be no strife between you and me. I don't want to have a conflict with you, Lot. Can't we get along on this? Paul teaches in Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Again, some of us are not all that eager about it. I, I know people, couples who've had arguments over how blue the sky is. No, it's bluer than that blue. I'm like, what do you mean? You're fighting about that? You're not eager for peace. What would it take? What do you need to do? Paul goes on in Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. There's a crazy idea. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Could we do right and awesome amazing things instead of finding ourselves in conflict? The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12:14, "Strive for peace with everyone." Strive for it? Are you hearing these words? Strive for it. Eager to maintain the unity strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled I know situations and people and couples who wrestled over things that took place years ago little seed was planted and they're just waiting for the right time some you know this little seed little weed with seeds planted and then 15 years later, you got this huge nasty briar in your garden, in your relationship. And it's got to be hacked down. Don't plant those little seeds. Strive for peace with everyone. Be eager to maintain unity. Live peaceably with all. But thirdly, here, with God's help, we can overcome conflict through. Protecting the interests of others. You can protect the interests of others. Now, this is huge. This is important. Don't miss this. How so? Verse 8. The passage says, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. We need to protect the interests of others. What else is everybody looking for? What are you longing for? By the way, in the midst of the conflict, ask somebody, ask the person you're in conflict with, what do you really want here? What do you need? What are you longing for? Ask those questions and be sincere about finding a way to help them get what they're longing for. By protecting the interests of others, Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, that each of you look not only to your, his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is our problem in our culture. We're so interested in our issues, our concerns, we have no thought of what the other person's longing for. But fourthly here, by remembering who we are before God, Abram says to Lot, for we are kinsmen. If you're married, your wife is your sister in Christ, or your husband is your brother in Christ. Your children are heirs of the king. Your friend is your brother or sister in Christ. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Christ died even for the one you're in conflict with. He died even for our enemies. So love your enemies, Jesus says, by remembering who we are before God. But fifthly here, by remaining reasonable. In verse eight, it said that Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsman and my herdsman, for we are kinsmen. In verse nine, it says, is not the whole land before you? He's just being reasonable. Look, look at all that we have before us. Look at all the options and opportunity we have. Why don't we look at what's, how, how overflowing the cup is? You know, some people are pessimistic. Some people are optimistic. You know, some are, you know, the cup's half full, right? And some people, the, the, the cup's half empty. And then, of course, there are those who are like, I don't think there's even a cup. You know who they are. At that point, you're not being reasonable anymore. It's not the whole land before you. Some people are just not reasonable. What will you do? How will you still love them? How will you still care for them? You can say the sky is blue and there are those who will take exception to that. But as far as it depends on us, we need to remain reasonable in our discussions. Sixthly here, and probably most importantly, out of everything you're gonna to hear today, We resolve things by being willing to lose. Don't miss this. We're good Americans. We don't like this idea. We don't like to lose in a discussion, in an argument, in a disagreement. Notice what our friend Abram says. Separate yourself from me, he says to Lot. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. He's willing to lose. I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to trust God with my provision. You take what you want. You get the pick. By way of example, Abram is willing to lose so that everyone could win. He's willing to take whatever Lot doesn't choose. Notice how he's willing to set aside his own agenda, his own interests, and to clearly and solely trust God for his provision. Now, I want to be clear here. I'm not advocating for a peace in the midst of conflict at any cost. There are things that we do need to stand for and there are things that we need to stand against. We do need to uphold God's moral law. The text says no murder. That includes the unborn, doesn't it? I'm not moving on that one. The scriptures say no homosexuality wherein God ordained marriage for one man and one woman by design, by his decree, and by his very own character. And so I'm not moving on that one. On these things, there can be no compromise. But where there can be compromise, we need to be willing to lose. This principle is so very important. Does it really matter which way the toilet paper goes? No. Does it really matter which way the cups go in the cupboard? Does it really matter that you get your way all the time? By the way, isn't this how Christ won? He won through losing. He gained the victory for us all through losing on the cross. He died for us so that we could live. Have you put your faith and trust in him? He is the promised seed of Abram. Thirdly today, With God's help, we can overcome conflict through turning away from being impulsive and selfish people. This really is at the heart of all the problems. We are naturally, because of sin in us, we are naturally impulsive and selfish. First of all, here by way of observation, impulsive and selfish people are generally rude. As we look at verse 10 here, Lot apparently has no regard for Abram's seniority or wisdom, so Lot demonstrates himself as an immature, impulsive, and selfish person. When given the chance, impulsive and selfish people will always take for themselves and even push others out of the way to get what they want. That's what they do. That's how they're wired. And the only way that changes is to be wired differently by the power of God in you through faith. But secondly here, impulsive and selfish people are often led by their desires. Look at verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. This is awesome. I'm going to get what I want. Like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Stay tuned for that. Lot made his decision based on what he saw without further considerations, apparently. But thirdly here, impulsive and selfish people are often, they often choose only for themselves and no one else. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself. All the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. By the way, note to self, whenever someone's traveling east in the Bible, it's usually not good. Thus they separated from each other. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. He chose for himself. Impulsive, selfish people choose for themselves. Now, by the way, because of sin and rebellion that's in all of our hearts and all of our lives that we all wrestle with, this is our natural disposition. If I had a bucket of apples and I passed around the room right now, I know what would happen when I got the leftovers in my bucket at the very end of passing them around. The, the, The last bottom apples at the bottom would be the worst apples. Why? because when you reach in, you're picking a good one for me. You're not putting that bad, nasty apple in my face. I'm not gonna do it, I want the good apple. But love says, humility says, no, I'm gonna pick the best apple for you. I want you to have that. That's grace, that's love, that's beautiful. This matters so much. Impulsive and selfish people are generally rude. They're led by their desires. They choose for themselves and no one else. But fourthly here, impulsive and selfish people generally don't consider the ramifications of their choices. Now, verse 13, parenthetically, we're told again, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. In other words, Lot, you've made your choice, and there are some issues you're going to have to deal with down the way. Because of Lot's selfishness, he is blinded to the risks involved in his decision. For him, there's no consider, consideration regarding his decisions. He's not asking, who will this hurt? Who will this endanger? What or who will I put at risk? I ask you, are you clueless on how your decisions may affect others? Again, we don't live, we don't operate in a vacuum. Your decisions have ramifications. They'll touch the heart's and lives of people around you. As R.C. Sproul says, in these kinds of things by God's sovereignty, right now doesn't just count for right now, but it counts for eternity. These are important decisions. But fourthly today, with God's help, we can overcome conflict through seeking God's honor through the pursuit of peace. And now we see the aftermath of this with what God does with Abram. First of all here is you pursue God's honor, as you seek God's honor through the pursuit of peace, God will lift up your eyes. Look what happens. Lot made his choice. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. Take a look around. By the way, this is also a a reflection from Genesis 4. You lift up your countenance. Remember Cain and Abel? Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Remember, he brought brought the wrong sacrifice and his countenance dropped. Why are you angry, God says, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. All of us wrestle with this. But if we just do what's right, God is longing to lift up our eyes to see what he has for us, if we'd only trust him in what he has ordained. But secondly, God will give you all that you're longing for. This is amazing. Don't miss this. God says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Did you, are you catching what's being said here? Even though Abram had given half away, God continues to promise all. Really? Yes, this is who we're dealing with. I have banked my whole life on these truths. Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Really? Yeah. How can he do that? Well, he knows what I'm longing for even better than I do. Why? Because he made me. I'd go after stuff that doesn't satisfy at all. And all the wives says, would you just trust me? Would you just follow me? Would you just walk with me? I've got all you need. Trust me in this. God will give you all that you're longing for, not only here, but in life forever with him. But thirdly here, God will always keep his promises. Notice what it says in verse 16. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Remember the three promises we talked about? the promise of progeny, children, the promise of land, the relationship of blessing, those three things. And here God's going to address two of them. I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth. You're going to have lots of kids. It's going to be awesome. Remember at this point, he's over 75 and he doesn't have any kids yet. So you can imagine, he's like, ah, really? So if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. God will keep His promises. From Genesis twelve, here we have offspring and land are the reaffirmed in God's promises. God is not a man that He should lie. All that He has promised you from His word is for you. Will you trust Him in that? Will you give yourself to Him and trust Him really for it? Or are you going to try to get things your own way through your own means? Lastly. And fifthly, with God's help, we can overcome conflict through faithfully walking with God. That's what God said to him Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I'll give it to you. If we just walk with God. In verse 18, he goes on to say So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there, what's he do again? He built an altar to the Lord. Everywhere he goes, he keeps building altars, he keeps the focus on worshiping God. Faithfully walking with God, faithful walking in obedience as he moves his tent, as God directs him, faithful walking in honor and worship as he builds an altar to the Lord. And by the way, the alternative to walking with God is to give up and to go your own way. Giving up on God, giving up on your relationship with Him, giving up on your relationships with others. Don't go there. Faithfully walk with him and watch him do amazing, amazing things in your life if we just trust him. Over the years, I've married a lot of couples, and I make on the wedding day. I make a promise to these couples. I pull them aside sometime during the reception. I say, "Hey, now, by the way, you're married now. <laughs> we went through all this premarital counseling." And I want you to know that as long as I'm alive, I'm always available to you to help you resolve your issues no matter what. No matter what comes, whatever, if you ever have a problem, if you need to call me at 2 in the morning, I'm, as long as I'm still kicking, I'm here to help you be successful in your marriage. I said that to every couple I've ever married. And every once in a while, one of those couples will take me up on that. One time I get a call about midnight from a couple, and they're in conflict. And um, he gets on the phone, and I'm like, oh, Tim, Tim, what's going on, Tim? It wasn't this Tim, some other Tim. <laughs> and the deal was, Tim, he was an avid bicyclist and liked to race bikes, right? And again, it's a simple thing. It's no big deal, right? He, he's, he found a really cool racing bike for sale, and he wanted to buy it. And his wife's like, no, we can't afford it. No, but I want to buy it. There's a race coming up. No, you can't buy it. We can't afford it. We don't want to have credit card debt. And they're in conflict, and it's midnight, and they're having problems going to bed now, right? So I get the call. Oh, well, hi, Tim. How are you doing? Not very good. And so he tells me what I just tell you, right? And I just, I asked him a couple questions. I said, so you don't have the resources for this right now? No, I don't. So you'd have to go in debt, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you think there'll be other races down the road in the future? Oh, yeah, there'll be a lot of other races. Yeah, okay. All right, so do you think this bike will ever be on sale again? Oh, yeah, probably. Well, then what would it matter if you just wait? And he goes, I knew you'd say that. <laughs> you already knew the answer. And by the way, isn't it true for a lot of us, we already know the right what we should be doing. And they could have gone to bed probably two hours earlier if he just would have said, yeah, you're right, honey. Let's just wait. And we'll trust God for when we can get that bike. It's a simple little thing, isn't it? But all he had to do was be willing to lose. And they can all go to bed happy. Conflicts can arise over almost anything. but By God's grace, we can overcome conflict by passionately pursuing peace with others. Are you doing that? By turning away from being impulsive and selfish people. Are you doing that? Are you turning away from that? By seeking God's honor through the pursuit of peace and by faithfully walking with God. Are you overcoming conflict in your life? How are you doing out there? Do you find yourself in conflict a lot? It's easy to think, well, it's everybody else. Maybe it's you. I don't know. Maybe it's you. I challenge you to passionately pursue peace with others. What selfish thing are you yet holding on to that needs to go? What are you being impulsive about? Are you resting in God's promises, resting in his provision for you? Are you faithfully walking with him? Would you please stand as we close our service? Our gracious heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who has removed the conflict, not just the conflict that we've had with you, oh God, but with each other. Lord, we thank you that it's the cross of Christ that brings reconciliation for us, that we don't have to be separated through disagreeing with you about our own sin, but agreeing with you that we are sinners and we desperately need Christ. We need your forgiveness. We need your restoration. We need to be reconciled to you. But Lord, not only have you accomplished that, but as we now live our lives, we can find peace in our relationships. The conflicts can be set aside. We can follow the example of Christ. We're willing to lay down our lives for others that they might live. Or if there's someone right now who's in conflict, I pray even before they're in conflict with someone in this room, they'd go to that other person and they would talk to them even today and say, I'm sorry. I've been silly about this. Please forgive me. Lord, I pray that you'd bring resolution, that you'd bring reconciliation, that you'd bring peace, But Lord, we know that you are the source of all peace that we have access to. It's from you, by your divine hand. Lord, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace, that as you shine in our hearts, we can be peacemakers, overcoming ridiculous conflicts, even with those that we love the most. So Lord, help us with these things. Help us not just hear this stuff, but to to walk in it in a way that would be meaningful, that would bring glory to your name. Thank you, Lord. And now, Lord, as we turn to a time together, of fellowship and lunch, we ask your blessing on the food. We thank you for those who prepared the food. And Lord, as we we, uh, share and dine together, help us to be mindful of those who sacrificed it all for these freedoms that we can enjoy, knowing full well that that's all from you and what you brought about for us. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful afternoon. Hopefully you can stay for some good cookout.